Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being here, and I pray that you would speak through me. Um, we honor you and we know you. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to preach an encouraging message. I wanted to get up here, say, God is good, and you have so many blessings in Jesus, when you can just be so thankful. And then I got to sign the passage about persecution. <laughs> so today we're going to do a sermon on persecution. Fun. Okay. So let me start by introducing myself. My name is Robert Lilligard. I've been attending Rock Hill since 2018. My wife is Alicia. My girls are Ruby, Mercedes, and Ingrid. I'm not a pastor or a paid ministry person. I'm actually a business owner. My brother Michael and I own Duluth's Best Bread, a bakery in Lincoln Park, and I'm on the preaching team at Rock Hill. One thing we've talked about is how once in a while it's good to get up somebody here who isn't a professional Christian. Um, because brothers and sisters, while I might not be that, I am a sinner saved by grace. And honestly, most of you are like me. Show of hands, how many of you in this room are paid professional pastors? Okay, Zach Johnson claims, yes, he was. <laughs> Questionable. Um, not on our staff, tell you that. Um, show of hands, how many are not paid professional pastors? I thought that might be the case. Um, the Bible has a lot to say to us, too. Most of us have secular work. Maybe you have a regular job. Maybe you take care of kids at home. Maybe you're retired. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you made the same foolish decision I did to open a business. But most Christians have had ordinary lives, and most Christians facing persecution, including what I'm about to talk about, Christians facing persecution at Rock Hill, have regular ordinary lives. So this passage in 1 Thessalonians is very relevant today in Duluth Superior. Before I get too far, I want to answer a question some of you are probably asking yourselves. You may have noticed that I move like this, and sometimes I make noises. This isn't a special movement of the Holy Spirit. Um, I have Tourette syndrome. It's a tick disorder. Uh, I guess statistically, 95% of people with Tourette syndrome tend to be extremely handsome and smart and charming and fun, but there's always exceptions like me. So, persecution. We tend to think of being persecution as like being out there, like believers in Afghanistan suffering under the Taliban or North Korea. But the Bible says persecution is right here at Rock Hill. So how do I know? 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I apparently need reading glasses. You see that word all? All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This doesn't mean you'll be burned at the stake or lose your home, but if you desire to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. It could be mild or it could be more serious. This happened to Paul and the apostles. It happened to the believers at Thessalonica, and it's happening to believers right here at Rock Hill. My faith caused an important magazine client to drop me as a writer. It cost me $10,000 in income. It was painful emotionally. My editor, who had worked well with me for four years, said she couldn't work with me anymore due to one complaint about my beliefs. My wife defended a Christian online she didn't start this conversation. She saw it happening and said, well, hey, she has a right to her opinion, and lost one of her best friends over it. The friend said, you have to take a side, and you chose wrong. This is a girl she had been friends with since middle school. Another friend at Rock Hill's uh, parents learned he had become a believer, and they stopped paying for his tuition. Rock Hill Christians have experienced family drama, tense situations at work, nasty emails, slander, and more. 
Being a Christian has costs. I don't want to try to turn this into an optimistic sermon because that wouldn't be fair to the passage I'm preaching. Now, last week was optimistic, and next week will be optimistic because Christianity is good news. But while I can't make this overly cheerful, I do hope we walk away steady, secure, and ready for the future. So let's get a big perspective on this issue. I'll start by reading the passage. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 16. You can read along in your Bibles. If you don't have one, there's a pew Bible on the seat in front of you. Um, And by the way, if you don't have one at all, you're welcome to take that home. That's our gift to you. Uh, We'll also have it along on screen. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So, as always, to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. (laughs) This passage breaks down into three sections. It's encouraging when people believe the gospel, but persecution is normal for believers. But take heart because God will eventually bring justice for the persecuted. So we see some encouragement, some sober news, and then the ultimate hope we have in Jesus. Let's back up a little and set the context. So far we've seen the theme of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, is hope and holiness in the midst of hardship. We started in Acts 17. Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy were in Thessalonica for three weeks, planting a brand new church. Then the Jewish leaders stirred up a mob and kicked them out of the city. We've seen some violent protests on TV in the last couple of years, even the last couple of weeks. Imagine if that was directed against Rock Hill. Our pastors all had to flee to Canada, except Zach Johnson, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Furthermore, imagine that happened three weeks after you became a Christian. So eventually... Paul really wants to know how they're doing. So he sends Timothy to check up on them. By the way, imagine getting that job. Hey, Timothy, uh, yeah, so remember that city where the mob tried to kill us? Yeah, you're, can you go there? Um, yeah, you'll be going alone. We'll pray for you. <laughs> uh, it turns out he makes it back fine, um, and they're doing great. Paul says their faith has actually spread across the whole region, in fact, and he's super encouraged and thankful to God. Uh, Last week, we learned Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy did the right things in the right ways for the right reasons, and then the Thessalonians responded to it. So now we get to our passage for today. Uh, The key points again, it's encouraging when people believe the gospel, but persecution is normal for believers. But take heart, because God will eventually bring justice for the persecuted. First, It's encouraging when people believe the gospel. Paul is thanking God continually without ceasing. It's very encouraging to him that the Thessalonians received this message. Our passage says, When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. In our day, we usually use the term word of God to refer to the whole Bible. But in the context of 1 Thessalonians, they're specifically talking about the gospel. We learn in Acts 17 what Paul's message was. Remember, the apostles were only there three weeks. 
So they received the gospel as the word of God, not the word of men. Then it was at work in them. What is the gospel that was preached to the Thessalonians? The gospel is that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. I have heard people say, oh, you don't always have time to explain the entire gospel to someone. But I want to encourage you, actually, you can get the basics across in eight words, less than four seconds. If anyone has a stopwatch, you can time me. You guys ready? You guys ready? Jesus died for our sins and rose again. Now, you need some background details. That's true, to flesh it out, to help people understand the context we're in. Like, why is our sin a problem? Because God is holy and pure. We're separate from him. In some context, you might even have to explain, you know, who is God? Um, Who is Jesus? That's something in our day, depending on people's knowledge, they might not know yet. You might have to flesh it out. You know, he's eternal God who became a man. He lived a perfect life. He died in your place. Why did he die? That's a good question, too. He died for our sins because the fair punishment for sin is death. So he paid that. Why did he rise again? That was actually my wife's, uh, the thing that made the difference for her getting saved as a 13-year-old. Jesus defeated death. He brought life. Um, And he gives life to us now. He got it first, and now he gives it to us. How do we respond? We believe. We put our trust in him. The gospel is a great message about Jesus. It's not about us. It's about what he does for us, not about what we do for him. It's the good news about his resurrection. And the Thessalonians believed it, have you? And if you have believed it, have you told someone? Jesus died for our sins and rose again. We see in this passage that the gospel works. Our passage says the gospel was at work in you believers. I think that's important to hear in a sermon on persecution. The gospel works. Sometimes we can get discouraged when we look around us and see other people aren't believing, even Christians, uh, you know, who walk walking away from their faith. It, but the gospel works. It does work. It saves people from their sins. It changes people for the better. It's very powerful. And it's so encouraging to Paul, and it's encouraging still to us. So we see it's encouraging when people believe the gospel. But persecution is normal for believers. Not everyone receives the gospel. Some hate it. I'll tell you a sad story. Another believer at Rock Hill uh, was a leader in a student group when he got saved. That's not the sad part yet. Um, (laughs) Within two months, they told him he wasn't welcome there anymore, and they picked a new leader. That hurt. But is it totally surprising that people would hate the gospel? Peter wrote, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. This is an experience shared by many Christians. If you're experiencing difficulty for your faith, um, which some of you probably are right now, you're not alone. In verse 14 and 15, we read, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind. Paul tells the Thessalonians they're part of a lineage of suffering here. It starts with Jesus, then goes to the prophets, the apostles, etc. Um, the author of Hebrews talks about like a great cloud of witnesses cheering you on as you were on the race. They've done this too. Let's have realistic expectations, though. I want to just point this out. If the enemies killed the Lord Jesus, killed the prophets, drove out the apostles, persecuted the churches of Judea, persecuted the church at Thessalonica, what will they do to you? 
I'm not trying to scare you, even though this scares me. But we were talking about this at preaching team, and Dean had a really good point. He talked about that, you know, in, when he was doing college ministry, some students were so worried about co- coming persecution, they got just super anxious. But when you have an expectation, it takes away a lot of the anxiety. You know, the doctor always says, it'll hurt a little bit um, for a shot or something. But I think what I want to get across to you today is this is actually normal. Jesus, the prophets, the apostles, the churches of Judea, the church of Thessalonica, etc. Some friction with the world is a good sign that you're doing it right. I think what Mike Solis said last week is really helpful in, in distinguishing this, kind of the two camps we often fall into. First, some of us do tend to be overly bold. We speak the truth, but maybe we're not sensitive about it. You know, I'm just telling it like it is. So the question for you then is, are you persecuted for your politics? Are you persecuted for your personality? Or are you persecuted for the message of the gospel? Is the most offensive thing about you that you love Jesus and want others to hear the gospel? I think of the Babylon Bee article. Um, that'll be our next slide. Man unsure if he's persecuted because he's a Christian or because he's a massive jerk. <laughs> and that is worth considering, but to be honest, I think most of us in this room lean the other direction. I think some of us can be so invested in being gentle and relational that we very rarely preach the gospel. Maybe we mention that we go to Rock Hill, but that's about it. We're waiting for an unbeliever to come up and ask us, hey, I've noticed you're super nice. Can you please explain to me who Jesus is, what he did, and how I can be saved through him? (laughs) That literally never happens, by the way. Um, An unbeliever might bring up spiritual things that's on people's mind, but our job is to bring up the gospel. That's sort of our thing, you know? Um, Those of us who are more avoidant can even go so far as to think that if a Christian is in hot water at work, or experiencing family drama over their faith, it's because he or she must have been pushing things down someone's throat. Or I think maybe even the bigger danger is we internalize it. Um, maybe we finally get up our courage and we say one spiritual thing to a coworker, and then they give us a weird sideways look. So we climb up for three years. We figure we must have done something wrong if like they're mad at us. I've been there. I've been there. When I lived in Germany as a 19-year-old, I started off like that Babylon Bee guy, talking about Jesus right away, but I came on too strong. So I managed to get myself branded as the weird religious kid from America. I do have a young face, though. I had that going for me back then. (laughs) But I got branded, and I was the least popular kid in my class of 30, to the point where people didn't want to be friends with me. Over the year, they gradually warmed up to me, like, a little bit. I hated being the loser. By the class trip, I was still so unpopular that I ended up being removed with Mark, the other weird kid. That's Mark there. I didn't take a ton of pictures from my time in Germany, um, but for some reason I had a picture of him. But I have to be honest though, I wasn't really friendly to him. In retrospect, I could have been kind. I think it's likely I could have shared the gospel with Mark. In fact, I probably could have had a good few spiritual conversations that weekend. I mean, neither of us had anything to lose. Uh, I, what I said to myself, though, was, I'm already unpopular. I don't need to make it worse. If I had realized that persecution comes with the territory of being a Christian, I would have said it differently. You ever just wanted to smack your past self? (laughs) But what I would have said was, I'm already unpopular. It's not going to get any worse. Why not tell one person the gospel? 
See, brothers and sisters, we're not supposed to fit in, and I want to tell you today that it's really quite okay if you don't. If you're experiencing friction for your faith, people are talking badly about you, if you're getting occasional nasty letters or your family doesn't like you at certain events, Luke 6.26 says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. That blew my mind the first time I heard it. Is persecution going to be fair? Probably not. Nero invented bogus reasons to burn Christians. You actually can't out-reason or out-argue the specific accusations. Jesus was perfect, and they still criticized him. We can't control why we're persecuted. The only thing we can control is what we make the main thing. Do we say, it's not fair? What about my religious rights? Does this become our emphasis? Why does persecution surprise us? Why does it outrage us? The way of the cross is not something that we're used to. You're not called to fight back. You're called to live peaceful and quiet lives. This threw me. You're not supposed to win the Facebook argument. You're not supposed to win that argument. Is our response to suffering to declare that it's not fair? Or is it to keep preaching the good news? Paul got beat up and he preached the gospel. He got thrown in prison. He got out, and he preached the gospel. You just sort of keep going forward. But that raises a question. How do you deal with the disappointment with the loss? Two of my sister's friends drifted from the faith back in college, and they started making fun of her. She wasn't opposing them. She wasn't judging them. She wanted to be in their lives still, but they assumed she'd be judgmental, so they broke off the friendship first. It was a preemptive friendship strike. (laughs) One of our pastors had a similar story right in his own family. It hurts when you go out of your way not to be offensive, and people assume things about you. And it can be super unfair. In this passage, we see that Paul has an unusual hope for this disappointment. He points the Thessalonians to God's wrath. God's wrath? Is that supposed to be encouraging? It is, because it's not our job to even the score. God avenges. God brings justice. Basically, the flow of thought here is this. It's encouraging when people believe the gospel, but persecution is normal for believers, but take heart, because God will eventually bring justice for the persecuted. Our passage says, the Jews hinder us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Specifically in this passage, the Jews, or at least some leaders, were stopping Paul from preaching the gospel so Gentiles could get saved. How has wrath come upon these particular Jews? Some commentators suggest a couple of historic events, But this statement in verse 16 seems too grand to be a local event. More likely, the aorist tense here, which is translated has come, points to Paul's certainty about the judgment that will come. It's so certain, it's like it already happens. When will ultimate come, though, not for the justice come, though, not for the Jews, but for the Gentiles who are harassing the Thessalonians? That's not answered in this passage. Maybe more to the point, when will God avenge the Afghan Christians dying under the Taliban this week? More personally, when will God avenge believers at Rock Hill who have lost jobs or family relationships or been slandered by hostile unbelievers? Maybe you're asking, when will God avenge me? 
We learn the answer in the sequel to 1 Thessalonians. Too fast, two Thessalonians. Okay. It's actually called 2 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians 1, it says, God will someday settle accounts, but it's not necessarily going to happen in your lifetime. If you are experiencing persecution, these wrongs may not be righted until Jesus comes back. Here's that passage. God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Fair is fair, they afflicted you, he afflicts them. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. So relief does come eventually. When though? When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. This is good news for the believer. Justice comes in one of two ways. Wrath on Jesus or wrath on us. Maybe there's an uneasy feeling in your heart right now. Maybe it's occurring to you that there are two groups of people in this section with two very different outcomes. On the one hand, you have those who receive the gospel. They understand they're sinners before a holy God. They deserve his flaming fire, God's wrath. They can never save themselves. But Jesus, who is God, lived a perfect life on their behalf. He then died on the cross for their sins to absorb God's wrath and rose again, defeating death. They understand that if they come to God empty-handed and believe in his work for them, he will save them, and God's wrath will never touch them. If you've trusted Jesus to save you, you're in this group. And then you have the other group, those who reject the gospel. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been thinking about Christianity, and you're curious, but you've never trusted in Jesus alone to save you. We're super glad you're here and exploring these questions. Any of our pastors would be glad to talk to you. Maybe someone dragged you to church today, and you're annoyed to be here. Either way, I want to say one thing to you as clearly as I can. You don't have forever. To, not making a choice is still a choice. Someday God's wrath is coming, and on that day, it will be too late. Either Jesus will pay for your sins if you believed him, or you will pay for them. And if you pay for them yourself, you'll pay forever. So please, trust Jesus today. Receive the gospel. Not as the word of men, but as the word of God. And one more thing. You are not too bad for God to accept, even if you're one of the persecutors. Why do I say that? I say that because of the man who wrote 1 Thessalonians. This letter was written by Paul. Paul's former job was to persecute the church. He was kind of like a professional anti-pastor. He dragged believers off to prison and helped murder them. But in spite of that, he became a believer. If God can save him, God can save you. So here's what we can take home today. Three points, and I'll keep them simple. It's encouraging when people believe the gospel, so believe it and share it. One of the most practical ways you can start is just get comfortable talking about the gospel in general. You can practice this with fellow Christians. One great conversation when you meet a new person in a church setting is, so how did you become a believer? Maybe they'll say, I haven't. You can share with them. But you can share your story as well. It's just a great conversation starter and a great way to get us used to talking about, you know, our testimony as the gospel, things like that. You want a tip for sharing the gospel with unbelievers? I've tried this twice, and it went well both times. Over coffee, I, told, I said to my friend, so this is a super quirky question, but 
you seem really thoughtful. What's your opinion on what happens after you die? Do you believe in an afterlife at all? And then after they talk, then I, the crucial part is I shut up then. It's not my forte, but I do it. <laughs> and I listen. Um, but you know what happened after when they explained for five minutes what they think? They said, uh, what do you think? Time to give the gospel. <laughs> Second application. Persecution is normal for believers, so be ready, but be at peace. Practically, how do we get ready? I don't think you can possibly scenario plan for every bad situation. I have tried. I do not recommend that strategy. So this is more about a general spiritual readiness. There's no secrets there. Regularly attending church, family worship, city groups, fellowship, Bible reading. Get your head on these things. Here's an out-of-the-box tip for perspective. So feel free to take it or leave it. Personally, I find it really helpful to read older books. When I feel panicky about how things are going, I disappear into something older. Like recently, I was anxious about the news, and I started reading short stories set in China during the Communist Revolution. Pretty soon, I was like, hey, we're doing fine. One time, when I had a bad cold, I read the diary of Anne Frank. Pretty soon, it was like, man, this cold really isn't that bad at all. So that's just a little free tip perspective that I get. Final application. Take heart, because God will eventually bring justice for the persecuted. See, this tip about reading old books means looking backwards for perspective. It helps me. It might not help you. But justice means looking forward. I would suggest reading 1 Thessalonians over the next few weeks as we do our series because the next few chapters have a lot to say about future hope. And our thread series this fall is going to get back into the prophetic books of Scripture, so I'd encourage you to read along. As I said up front, I can't turn persecution into a fun, happy topic. But Scripture stabilizes us and anchors us in the big picture. God's gospel works in spite of everything, and God will bring justice. And sometimes, even the persecutors end up believing in Jesus. We serve a great God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your kindness towards all of us. Thank you for dying for our sins. Lord, we pray for those who haven't accepted you, that they would trust in you. And I pray that you would give us stability and boldness as we move forward looking towards your future justice. In Jesus' name, amen.